Happy Sabbath and good afternoon to uh, everybody that is connected and joining our conversation uh, for this Sabbath. Now, we want to welcome you. We want to welcome, um, look, there's always somebody that's that's trying to get in there super fast. Uh, Andrew, uh, this time, this time it was uh, it was Jessica from Inland Spanish. So uh, first, happy Sabbath in there. Uh, we got uh, Haley, who also uh, gave us a shout out. Happy Sabbath there. And uh, Cindy as well. Uh, and we know others are going to be connecting. You know, this is this is just our tendency. I think uh, we're always a little bit late. Uh, we're not talking about you guys. We're talking about us. Okay. Uh, but uh, but you know we're 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 thankful and we're excited that we're here uh, for this conversation. What we think is going to be a very important conversation, by the way. But we got to get to the weird things happening on screen first, okay? Because there are some weird things happening. Um, and no, do not panic. Jason has not transformed his face or anything. It's that Jason is not here, and we actually have someone uh, who is uh, joining us, uh, guest. Uh, actually, not as a replacement. Let's just be very clear, right? It, it wasn't a replacement. We we actually were expecting Jason here. Unfortunately, he's in an area where he's got no good connection. So, uh, you, you know, hopefully he'll he'll be able to join us later. But if hey, not, we're we're we're, uh, we're today we're not jam. We're D A M, and I wouldn't say the other word because it's Sabbath, and I don't. I, I don't want to get rebuked. No, no, it's okay. We'll just switch the letters out. We're mad. We're mad today. Okay? We're, we're mad. mad. Okay. Yeah, we're mad. Okay, today we're. I, I don't know wrong. if that's one of the fruit, uh, fruits of the spirit, though. I, I don't mad. know either. I don't know other, but that, that's that's what we got. So we got uh, Pastor Mitch today. We got, obviously got Andrew today. And uh, Andrew, why, why don't you give us a little bit of introduction before Dan uh, speaks a little bit about himself? Oh man, I gotta give this the the the. I get the honor to introduce my uh, cousin. <laughs> no, this, this is my uh, cousin uh, Dan. Um, born in Air, I want to say born in Arizona, born in California, raised in, raised in Arizona. Let me get it right. Yes. I'm already getting it wrong. <laughs> I think Dan should introduce himself. <laughs> I was born in uh, Paramount, California. Oh, uh, I got it all wrong. Uh, raised in here in hot Arizona. Um, a preaching elder here uh, at Glendale as uh, English Seventh-day Adventist Church. So I'm glad to be here. Thanks for, for the invite. No, good, good. We're happy to have you here. Um, and uh, it's funny because we had had some conversations. Uh, you know, we every once in a while we try to get a guest speaker on here, especially <clears> for <throat> the difficult topics because we need somebody else to give the answers, right? Oh, give so, the hard question to give the hard yeah. questions. Yeah. So I mean, when we thought about talking about you know spirit of prophecy and Ellen White, the first person that came to mind was Dan. It was like, hey, well, who else, right? <laughs> Uh, no, no, it's it's good to have you here, Dan. Uh, by Thank the way, you. I'm totally totally kidding. That's 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 not why we have Dan here. But yeah, uh, you know, uh, we're we're happy that you're able to join us. And again, uh, Jason is not with us today, but but it's okay. We're 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 gonna be. Hey, able he's to with us in too. spirit, though. That, that's correct. That's um. You also got to be careful how you interpret that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, we're not talking about a spirit like uh like a Joseph Smith type spirit. We're talking about. <laughs> As, as, as we shall see in a little bit, I think, um, or, or something like that. So anyways, once again, uh, we want to thank everybody that's joining us. Uh, if you are watching us live, give us a shout out. Let us know that you're alive, that you're well, and you're having a happy Sabbath. Um, and, uh, you know, things are getting pretty crazy out in the world. Uh, Dan, I know you're out in Arizona. I, I, I've heard that Arizona, it's, it's all over the place. This COVID-19 is all over the place. You scared? It is. It is. Are, are, are you scared? Um, uh, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> I mean, I just, no, you got to You got to roll with those. Hey, up. brother, they, they, the, 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 the heat over there is like minimum, like 120, bro. They have nothing to worry out there, bro. Supposedly it's supposed <laughs> the, to the, the heat's going to kill the virus. Supposedly. I will tell you though, we're having really good weather. 
past few days. Uh, hopefully it stays like that. I doubt it. It is, it is the 4th of July. Now, we are not having a conversation on the 4th of July today, right? Uh, we're not having a conversation about the birth of the United States or whatever. We're, we're, at, we're talking, obviously, what we want to continue talking about. Uh, and we started this last week, right? Uh, and so we're going to jump into that uh, pretty soon. Now, um, before we jump into that, though, we got some news for some people. Um, uh, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to say anything else. Uh, this really comes down to Andrew. Andrew, talk to us. What's the news that you got <laughs> going on? I don't think I'm going to say anything. I'm just going to I'm going to move this mic. We can't hear you, bro. <laughs> I, hear you. I have been talking about the T-shirts that we were going to get made. For how long and uh where they're finally here this is our uh summer collection <laughs> uh, i guess uh <laughs> no but hopefully everybody can see this right uh we, we've been talking about merch and just just trying to um uh, you know trying to get the the uh the, the slogan right the name of our conversations keep calm and advent on which is a slogan that we believe in right I, especially I, in all I this crazy to present a couple of different uh, uh, shirts if you guys are, are thinking about getting any of these. I'll show you guys the rough drafts first. Go for it. Well, this is the very first one. Very nice. Very nice. We see that. Okay, I like the colors. All right. Then... <laughs> okay, I see the white and the red. That, that's looking good. We got we got some thumbs up on this. Uh, we got Jessica saying uh, uh, yes about the merch. She's really excited about that. All right, and this one is uh, for uh, for the guys as well. Ve right. ve very nice. That's that's nice. That looks good. Now, uh, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong. There is something on the back, right? Yes. All right. And and in case you guys can you guys can't see this, hopefully you can. I know you're away from the mic, Andrew. So I'll read this. Uh, it says, we have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and is teaching in our past history, Ellen G. White. That's the quote that goes on the back. Uh, uh, Andrew, this is this is great stuff, man. Uh, you know, this is like a, it's like a preaching t-shirt. Look at these. For the girls. There you go. Look at that. Same. Very nice. Very Sweet. nice, Andrew. Sweet. Very nice. Look very clean as well. So, uh, you know, and more than anything, give us your reaction. Let us know what you think about these shirts. Um, you know, uh, the, again, this is for the summer, especially. Uh, I have no idea how you can get one of these shirts, but somehow, <laughs> some way, it looks like it is possible. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if we should talk a uh, uh, money on Sabbath. I've, I've no, always been no. told not to, so I'm not going to do no. that. But what I, I will say is that we have been promising a giveaway since yes. we started. Yes, that is so true. I want to do a giveaway to the to one girl or one lady. And one uh, gentleman, okay, right? Okay. And um, I will be give, we'll be giving that out next week. Okay. Um, I will be going through all the videos and seeing who was the very first, of course, of, of our our lady that have been have been commenting, and then we're gonna look uh, for for the guys, see who very nice. who was, and we'll, we'll we'll do those giveaways. Very very nice, very nice. So we are excited about that. Let us know what you think about them. Again, I'm I'm getting a lot of thumbs up. Uh, I see uh, um, uh, Cindy saying very nice. Uh, Jessica saying they look great. Uh, Angie literally with a thumbs up and she writes out thumbs up. So it's a double thumbs up. That's yeah. uh, it's it's good. It's good. And again, we do we do truly believe in this message. Keep calm 
and keep looking towards the coming of Jesus. So that's uh, we just wanted to make sure we get that out to you. Um, anyways, keep, by the way, uh, keep out, uh, keep a lookout on our Instagram page because we'll get more information about uh, how you can get uh, a T-shirt if you'd like. So uh, you know, we 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 are we're gonna be uh, uh, getting them for ourselves, obviously, and uh, we hope that you guys can join in that as well. Um, awesome. Am I missing anything, Andrew? Can we jump into this conversation? Let's, let's do this. Awesome. All right. So we're going to jump into this conversation. Um, let's start with a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll explain what we're talking about, and we'll jump in. And hopefully all of you can join us in this conversation as well. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray uh, wherever you're at. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us at this moment as we enter into this conversation of uh, such an important topic that deals with the spirit, with, with the gift of prophecy. We hope that you lead us in this conversation and that everybody that is watching us may be blessed. We thank you. Uh, we ask that you stay with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Um, very well. And again, we want to welcome everybody that's joining us. And uh, if you get an opportunity, share this with someone, send this to, you know, in your local churches, by the way, we have a number of young people in our respective churches, uh, Dan, Andrew, myself. Uh, and so if you get a chance right now, send it to them, send them a text message and let them know this is a good opportunity to join because we do want to hear your, your questions at some point. Very well. So we titled this conversation, A Lesser Light. And that's, that's actually a phrase that comes from the writings of Ellen White. But before we even jump into Ellen White, um, we, we, last week we talked about haystacks. Well, at the end, we talked about haystacks. But what we really were talking about was Adventist identity, right? And trying to talk a little bit about the history and what kind of brought us to the formation of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, and in that process, and we spoke about this a little bit, we talked about uh, the role that prophecy uh, had in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And eventually, you know, and, and if you've been joining us, you know that we've been discussing uh, quotes of Ellen White, right, her writings. But we understand that there are a lot of questions about this. And so today we want to jump into these questions. We want to have a discussion on these things. But first, we're going to kind of start at a very general, general sense. Now, um, uh, just out of curiosity, Dan, how long have you been Seventh-day Adventist? Well, like there's a there's a phrase that they use that I was born into the church. So sure. that's I would, I would use that uh, phrase. <laughs> Perfect. No, nope, that's fine. That's fine. And obviously we all had our experiences up and down throughout those years. But uh, I, I, I was under the impression all three of us uh, technically have been either from from very, very young or even from birth. Right. Have been in the Adventist church. And uh, one of the things that we've heard about a lot, whether we understood it or not, was prophecy. Yeah. And um, and so I, 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 let's start there. Right. Um, what does prophecy mean for the church? Like, why is prophecy so important for the church and why do we hear so much about it? Let's let's start a conversation there, because I think that's a good way to segue into eventually Ellen White. So what, what do you guys got on this? Why is prophecy so important in the Adventist church? And Dan, you're our guest. So, uh, uh, you know, you get to go first here. Uh, I think prophecy in our church is a very important thing and they and they they are proud of it we look look forward to it just because it's a way of knowing something the future ahead of time and it, it gives you this um like if you were in school a cheat sheet of what is going to happen so you have this information that you're like whoa i get to look in the future it's prophesied something that's going to happen in the future and they tell me the, the future in the present time like I could, I could know what's going to happen. And the idea that you have information about the future, especially about biblical things, about things that, that's going to happen as, as the A in the future before God comes, 
it, it's fascinating. It's something, it's a supernatural type, it's spirituality information that is just, uh, it's fascinating to have it. And so we, we get to this, 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 it's a study that is profound mm. when you get to know in your mind, a study that you get to know what happens in the future and you get to know now. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Right. Like I, I in fact, I grew up thinking that way, Andrew and, and, and Dan, I grew up thinking, man, I know the future, right? <laughs> As a kid, I'm like, man, we know prophecy. We know the future, but, but Andrew, hey, what, bro, what do you that, say that's about not, That's yeah. not what I thought. No, what, what you was ever watched the La Ultima Batalla? Hey, man, terrified, hey, bro. Stop bringing no, up that movie. That, bro. Stop, stop bringing up that movie, man. I'm telling you, I had nightmares about that. Uh, you know, those were those are some serious scenes. But, but Andrew, what do you think? Why, why is prophecy so important? Uh, you know, for, for the Adventist Church, hey, obviously, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, well, I'm just gonna say right at the top. You, you know that prophecy is not my not not my biggest thing. Not that I don't love it, but I think that there are certain people that have that gift. And certainly, Mitch, I would say that you're one of those people that that you could just you could be in Revelation for days. You, I've seen you have. A, a month-long seminars on, on Revelation, so I know you love that stuff. But Bro, hey, talk- you know what? You say that right now, but let me let me just tell you, my church knows this. Uh, we've been studying the three angels message for 14 weeks now, bro. <laughs> I, I, I feel bad, but you know, at least we got people that are still joining. So we're, we're going to continue, but yeah, prophecy is deep. Absolutely. Very deep. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it, it's important when we think of prophecy, especially when we come talking about the seven day Adventist church, uh, I don't think I would do this justice without, uh, first starting with that quote that we, uh, that I mentioned last week, right. By George Knight, uh, which says the genius of the seven day Adventist of Seventh-day Adventism does not lie so much in those doctrines that make it distinctive or in those beliefs that it shares with other Christians. Rather, it is a combination of both sets of understanding within the framework of the great controversy theme. In the ap- apocalyptic core of the book of Revelation, running, running from Revelation 11:19 through through the end of chapter 14, it says, it is that prophetic insight that distinguishes the Seventh-day Adventists from other Adventists, other Sabbatarians, and all other Christians. When we think about prophecy, especially when it comes to the Seventh-day Adventist church, I feel like this is our foundation. This is what our church was founded on, right? This prophetic insight that makes us different than, than, like, uh, than everyone else, right? If we think about the very moment that the Seventh-day Adventist church is almost birthed in, right? It's almost birthed through this uh, uh, going back to the to the Bible, right through the Millerite movement, uh, going through going back to the Bible study, right, and, and and going through prophecy, right, and we go to this uh to to what we know as the Great Disappointment, right, and and from that Great Disappointment is where we see uh the Seven Day Adventist uh Church, who which is born, which is almost like saying that through prophecy, right, I, I would say through failure we see something great come out of. Out of, out, of, out of the Adventist church, right? And as we look at, um, if, uh, I was actually studying on William Miller, where he talks about the different prophecies, right? He says that uh, one of his, the, the biggest aspects to his uh, original Bible study was that there was two types of prophecies, either, either those that talked about Jesus' first coming or those that talked about Jesus' second coming, right? And on these two things is what it was founded on. And of course, uh, we already know that Jesus uh, came for the first time. And now we're seeing... Uh, a, a church that is taking prophecy and the second uh, advent and putting all its foundation on on its pillar, right? Um, we know uh, when when that event happened in 1844, right? That there was a couple of camps that opened up, right? The shut door and the open door, right? Camps. And, and through those movements, we see two different camps 
uh, uh, come out. We see those who turn to, uh, uh, how would you say, to fanaticism and spirituality where they say that Jesus, we have the one camp that says that nothing happened on that date, right? And then we have the other camp that says Jesus came, but he came only in spirit, right? Not a physical, right? And then, of course, we have the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which says that, 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 that there was the sanctuary that, that was being cleansed, right? And that's where we get this, uh, this idea of prophecy and the foundation of the prophecy. So I think it's important, right, that, 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 that we pay, pay attention to this, especially when it comes to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I want to read to you guys a, a, a verse found in 2 Peter 1.19, which says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Right, right here in this verse, we see that it says it is a prophetic message that is completely reliable. And the second part says, and you will do you will do well to pay attention to it. And I think that that's what the core of the Seventh-day Adventist uh, church is at its foundation, is that we put prophecy at the forefront. Right. That, that we believe in it as something completely re reliable. And we put so much emphasis that we put it in the grand scheme uh, of the great controversy. Yeah, I I, uh, I think I think that's a great answer. Um, in in the sense that uh, you know, it ties what happened historically. Uh, in in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and we talked about this last week. So obviously, we don't want to spend too much time on the Millerite movement and and what happened there. But uh, it's important to understand that the Adventist movement began based on uh, Bible prophecy, a study of prophecy in the Bible. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. So. Uh, we understand that the Millerite movement began with that. That leads to the Adventist movement, the movement that believes that Jesus is coming soon. Great disappointment happens. And then there's a group that still keeps believing that prophecy was trying to say something, which is what you were saying, Andrew, right? Still uh, was is trying to say something, was trying to say something. What is that? And so there is still a further study in Bible prophecy that leads eventually to the formation of certain doctrines and beliefs, right? Certain interpretation of scripture that leads to the formation of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So the, the church is both tied historically and formationally, if I could put it that way, right? Uh, in, in, in its history, Adventist, uh, sorry, prophecy is present. And in its formation as a church, prophecy is present. But I wanted to add one other thing because this was, you know, this was probably a way that I grew up, but it, I, I'm, I'm sure that you guys have heard this before. I want to see what you guys think about this. Um, prophecy is linked to the self-identity uh, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In other words, how we understand ourselves. And there are certain Bible verses within prophetic visions that stand out for us. So probably the most important text in Adventist identity, and you guys can argue with me if you, if you guys don't agree, is Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, right? Uh, Revelation 12, 17, you guys know this. I'm, I have the text right in front of me, so I'm going to read it uh, just in case. The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so there is this idea, right, that at the end of time, at least based on what prophecy is saying, that the dragon, the devil is going to attack the woman. Sure, the church, yes, but more specifically, a remnant, right, a group that comes out of this, of this greater umbrella of the church. And this group will have two main characteristics, which is they will keep the commandments of God and will have the testimony of Jesus. And, you know, if you look at all the founding 
uh, pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they all explain this verse one way or another, and they say, well, what is the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Bible itself in Revelation 19.10, another verse that I know you guys know, uh, says, um, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And here it is, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So um, the Adventist church comes in and says, look, we believe in the Ten Commandments. We believe that the Ten Commandments still are valid even unto this day. Uh, very few denominations will tell you that about the Ten Commandments. They'll tell you that some of these things have been have been uh, nailed to the cross. Or yeah, exactly. And so here is a group that says, nope, these Ten Commandments established by God still make sense in our lives today. One, those are the ones who keep the commandments of God, and two, testimony of Jesus. That is the spirit of prophecy. That is prophecy, right? And so. Uh, it's tied to our identity. And I'll tell you, um, you know, we could talk about Revelation 14 as well. I think that's important to the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But identity-wise, it's, it's Revelation 12, 17, right? And, and that connects us to prophecy. I don't know. What say you guys about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, what, most Adventists, when you talk about what are the, what are the books are you going to read that knows the, about the identity? As SDA, what books did you read from Ellen G. White in one of these, uh, El Conflicto de los Siglos, which is a great controversy? Is that a controversy. That's right. That's right. Because it tells you in detail, like specific detail about how the devil is going to attack the last, the remnant church and the last church and the people who are still living and how that process is in detail. And so when you're looking at that, you, you are seeing like if it was present day, but she describes it. And so you're talking about that's the identity. We know what the devil's going to do. We know we're seeing this. It's a study and it's an identity, a scripture study of knowing what's going to happen, knowing that God wins and we prevail. And so it is an identity and it's, it, it's, it becomes uh, the spirit process as understanding that and, and sharing that we're, we're, it's like we're proud of it. We have this thing. It is an identity, but it's a calling to share that with the world. That's probably why, like Andy was saying, the SDA was meant to proclaim this, not just to have the information and to boast about it, but to have it and to tell the people, listen, this is the truth. We have a spirit of prophecy, which is our testimony. Here's the truth. Here's this gospel. Here's this extra information. And that will makes it, that is what makes the SDA church or SDA uh, people important of, of what we're supposed to do here on earth. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a mission element to this all, uh, as well, right? I and I and I think I think you were you were pointing to that, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wanted to just go off what you guys were saying. The same thing. I think uh, the, those verses are, um, how would you say it, essential to to what we believe, right? Uh, uh, the, the woman and and the church and, and and all these things and these two different um, it's these two different aspects of keeping the commandments and having the faith of Jesus, right? You know, you you read Revelation 19 where it said that uh, the the spirit of prophecy, right? which points to Jesus. And I see that um, there is a, how would you say, an overarching, uh, um, how would you say, uh, um, thought in the Bible that we see from Revelation. But we see it also in the very beginning. You remember after Adam and Eve sinned, what happened, right? When, when uh, God is speaking to the, to the serpent, the very first thing he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, right? In Revelation, we, we, we have we use those symbols to represent the church, right? It will, there will be uh, 
between your seed and, and his seed, right? There will be enmity. And then he says, you will bruise his head and he shall bruise your heel. So from the very beginning, we see this prophetic statement, right? Kind of this in the same language uh, used in Revelation. And it's pointing to Jesus at the same time. It's pointing to a savior. And we have that same thing in the very beginning, all the way to the very end, a message that, that comes together uh, as we see in Revelation 19, that the spirit of, spirit of prophecy is pointing to Jesus, right? And I, uh, another uh, one of the verses that comes to my mind is uh, the road to Emmaus, right? When uh, these two disciples are, are walking after Jesus has ascended, right? And they're kind of confused about whether Jesus was a prophet or was he the one that was going to come to save them. And Jesus comes down, comes down and talks to them. And he's almost like he's laying, laying the, 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 the hammer down saying, I am the one, right? And he shows them, right? In Luke 24, 25, it says, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe and all the prophets have spoken, right? Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So we see that in Genesis, we see that in Revelation, we see that when Jesus is here, Jesus is pointing to prophecy, and not only prophecy, but prophecy is pointing back to Jesus, and I think that's very crucial. Uh, yeah, for, for the record, um, I think I think it's important that we uh, at least try to give at least a general answer if we can. What is it that we understand by spirit of prophecy? Uh, because because let me say this as well, because I think this is important that we clarify. Um Whenever Revelation 19.10 says uh, it is the spirit of prophecy, it's not talking about the ancient red books, uh, ancient, well, really more like 100 years ago, right? Uh, the ancient red books uh, that Ellen White wrote, although we give the term to some of her writings as the spirit of prophecy, right? And, and in Spanish, I know, Espíritu de profecía, like that's something that we say often. I said it this morning, I believe. I, I believe in the sermon, I think. But I know I've said it before, right? Like I said, el Espíritu de profecía dice, the spirit of prophecy says. And I'm not against that. But what I am saying is that when we are honest with Scripture, that's not what it's referring to, right? It is, it is a much more broader and general term. How do you guys understand what spirit of prophecy is, right? How do we understand the spirit of prophet and prophecy? And for the record, I'm going to pull out one of these red books just in case someone doesn't know what I'm talking about. Maybe they're too young. Uh, and I haven't seen one, but what, but what do you guys think about the spirit of prophecy? Andrew. Oh, actually I'm, I'm looking up a quote right here. While you look that up, here you go. Okay. By the way, I'm not even talking about the ones that you guys know. I'm talking about uh, something like this. Okay. Now, by the way, this book is over a hundred years old. <laughs> This one, the one I'm holding in, I, uh, it's the second oldest book that I own. But here you go. This is this is this is the way they had it. Now this is Daniel in Revelation. This is written by Uriah Smith, uh, not considered spirit of prophecy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ellen White's books used to be published like this, right? And this is what I mean by the red books uh, back in the day. Uh, but again, we're not talking about the books that were published by the Seventh Day Adventist Church that are the testimonies of Ellen White. We're talking about the spirit of prophecy, as Revelation 19.10 says. So, yeah, sorry. Go, go ahead, Andrew. No, yeah, I had, I had two verses, and I think we can go go on forever on this topic. I was, I was researching. I was like, man, this is, this is just so much information, like way too much. Like if we, can go, if we go into uh, the spirit of prophecy and how can we know if Ellen White is a prophet or not and, and, and you know, the false prophets. And, and you know, I'm just going to throw out two verses, verses for you. Um, in Isaiah 8, 19 through 20 says, and when they say to you, seek, seek those who are mediums and wizards who, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on the behalf of the living? And then it says, 
to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, right? This is how we, how we're, we are to judge the prophet, right? And then another one in Jeremiah 28, 9, which says, as for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Mm. So I, I think that that gives us a, a general idea of, of, I mean, like I said, we can go into many, many different verses, right? The confirmation of a prophet or what a prophet and the spirit of prophecy, of course, like we were talking about, is one that, that speaks according to the word of God mm. and points to Jesus. Yeah, um, I, I, look, I, I think there's a, there's also a misunderstanding as to what the role of a prophet is, uh, because a prophet isn't just someone who speaks about the future. We sometimes think of prophecy as only speaking about the future, and that's just because of the term that we use. But the truth is that uh, the early prophets were not so much concerned about the future, but were concerned about bringing a message to the present. Uh, Enoch, the Bible considers one of the earliest prophets. Noah was a prophet as well. The, the interesting thing is that although Noah predicts of something that's going to happen 120 years later, eventually that message becomes a present day message, which means that prophecy isn't about just telling you what's going to happen in the future. It's simply about bringing messages, right, of God. They are spokes, spokespersons, spokespeople, right? Spokeswomen, because there are some women prophets in scripture, right, uh, that, that have a special message on behalf of God, that God is inspiring them through the spirit. Yeah. I, I wanted to add real quick to what you were saying, right? Absolutely. Uh, we have this misconception of prophets, right? And, uh, and I was actually in, in that book, uh, George and I, he actually out, lays it out uh, pretty well, you know, that, that there was this uh, big movement in the Seventh-day Adventist church where it kind of <laughs> stirred up everyone in those times because their perspective of, 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 of the spirit of prophecy was only through divine revelation from God. Right. That that's the only way that God uh, uh, used prophets. Right. But like you were saying, uh, we, we, we can see just through the Bible that prophets come in different. I wouldn't say flavors, different. Uh, uh, they, they have different purposes and different functions. Right. Sure. Uh, just for an example, um, John the Baptist, the Bible says that uh, Jesus himself says that of woman, no, there was no greater man. Right. That was born. And John the Baptist never did one miracle. That's correct. Think about that. That's that's crazy to me that Jesus puts him on the highest place. Right. As a person who's walked the earth. Right. The, the current day Elijah. Right. He puts him at that place. And John the Baptist never did a miracle. So in the sense that he was a prophet, he was speaking what the, the uh, what the people needed to hear at that time. Mm. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Um, and, and I did want to add one last thing about this. And, and Dan, I want to see what you think about this as well. Um, when when we look at the gift of prophecy or the spirit of prophecy, right, the the, the uh, what the spirit does in relation to prophetic revelation, um, there's a verse that I've always thought very interesting, because I think it puts a lot of things in perspective. This is First Corinthians chapter 14. This is uh, verses one through five. Um, and and Paul, we look that be, up? yeah, if you guys want to look it up, oh, hey, that Bible's moving finally, bro. Uh -huh. I think this hey, is like the hey, second time look, I've seen hey, it. Look, look at that. There's no dust on that. Let's get uh, that straight. Hey, you may, you may, you may wipe it down for the stream. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But no, so first Corinthians 14 verses one through five. And, and I think this is such an important text when it comes to the gift of prophecy or this idea of a prof of, of, of being a prophet or having the gift of prophecy. Um, Paul says, pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts, right? For sure, spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. 
That's what he says. First Corinthians 14 verses one through five. And he says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Now, let me let me stop right there, because this is a huge thing nowadays. Right. Especially in the Pentecostal movement. Uh, all love to the Pentecostal brothers. But with all due respect. OK, according to this, he says, look, the person who speaks in tongue doesn't speak to men. He, sp he says, but speaks to God for no one understands him. OK, <laughs> fascinating. Right. And we can get into that. But check this out. Um, however, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, notice this, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. By the way, the context of this is actually having somebody in the Corinthian church, they had these problems. Somebody would literally stand up and start speaking in another language. And then all of a sudden people were like, dude, what are you speaking? Like, we don't understand. Why are you speaking these things, right? And so at the end, the only person that would understand that would be the person who was speaking it and, <laughs> and everybody else would be left behind. So he's like, look, uh, at this point, the only person you're speaking to is God. You're not speaking to any of us, but the gift of prophecy is all about edification, exhortation, and comfort of men. And let me, and let me finish this. Hold on, Andrew. Let me finish this real quick because he says, uh, he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. This is verse four, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And notice he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues even more that you prophesy for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. That's, that is powerful right there. Um, and, and so he says, look, perhaps the greatest spiritual gifts that we can receive is the gift of prophecy, right? It's the ability to understand and, and convey the message of God, which is what the prophets would do. Go ahead, guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I was maybe rambling there, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, I just want, oh, you want to go down or? No, no, I was saying Gandhi because you wanted to say something. Yeah, no, no, I just want to continue with uh, the thought that you were saying. I, I was going to tell you, uh, Mitch, I don't know if I want to open this can of worms. Don't open it. Don't open it, bro. <laughs> don't open it. Don't open you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's interesting that you said, right, that, that people were standing up and prophesying, right? And that's where we get that um, whole uh, Paul where he says, I do not allow a woman to speak in the church, mm -hmm. right? And people take this out of out of context saying, oh, see, Paul was against, uh, he, he was anti-feminist and all this stuff. But the, the idea was that many women at that time were standing up and prophesying, just like you said, at, at different times. And it wasn't being edifying to the church. So Paul, in that, I guess, rebuke, he sounds so strong. But I think if we could take anything from it, right, and apply it to a present truth would be, that he was so strongly against that message because people were just uh, 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 disrupting of uh, 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 the believers of uh, how just access to uh, the, the prophecy, right? By just uttering words or just standing up at different times, uh, people weren't getting the message across. And I think that that, was, that, that is important, you know, uh, to realize that, that Paul's rebuke there is to, for us to sit down and understand uh, uh, this prophecy. I have another uh, Bible verse to go along with what you were saying, right? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 through 22, it says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Mm -hmm. I think this lends even perfectly to what we're talking about because I feel like as, as, as Seventh-day Adventists, Sometimes we overlook prophecy. We say, oh, no, that, that's, too much, uh, that's too much for me, right? Uh, and I, even though prophecy is not my thing, I know it's your thing, you know, there is an importance to understand where we fit in this whole, the whole cycle of, 
of the great controversy. It brings an urgency. When we uh, uh, treat prophecies with contempt, we do almost like um, what, what the rest of the churches do, right? Other denomination, denominations, right? There is a, how would you say it? There's a laid backness, hmm. if we could say that, to the second coming of Jesus. And there's something about prophecy and the Seventh-day Adventist church, Adventist church and that <laughs> emphasis on prophecy that makes us uh, uh, um, a church that, that, that has to be ready for his second coming. Uh, there was a, well, you know, what Mitch was talking about how he said that verse says, and prophecy is even better than talking in tongues. He, he makes that statement and prophesy is even better. Um, we all know this, this John 16, 13, and it says uh, 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, more than you can know, can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you the things that are to come. I, we in the SDA uh, realm, in the A's church, we use that la verdad presente. Mm, right? Present truth, yeah. The present truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that the spirit of prophecy in our church is when, that the, I think what Paul is then saying is it's more important, prophecy is more important, because as we go along, year after year after year, and we're getting closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the, the present truth becomes the only truth we were focusing on. It's what we're living here. We're not looking so much what God did with Daniel and stuff like that at the old prophecies that had already been fulfilled, but we're looking and we're using all those puzzle pieces of Daniel's and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Amiah, and we're putting those pieces together to tell the church a present truth about what's going on about how God is coming, how we should live our lives, be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's that, that that's why I believe that Paul says, and it's more important, prophecy is more important because it's truth, it's present truth. You could talk in tongues, but you know, prophecy is talking about what God wants to tell us through the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and that is important. That's what characterizes, identifies us. We are present truth because we listen to the Holy Spirit what has the Holy Spirit led this church to know all the, 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 the you know, uh, about the sanctuary, the truth about the sanctuary, the truth about Jesus Christ and what we do with that message. Um, yeah, let me, let me, uh, uh, let me kind of just shift just a little bit because we got some interesting comments and we don't want to open up as in the words of Andrew can of worms. Right. Uh, <laughs> but on, on the chat, uh, Cindy mentioned, I have friends who speak in tongues. They do not know what they're saying, but they are speaking a holy language to God and, uh, or, or uh, yeah, language to God. And I just want to make sure we, we, we kind of close that, that door for a second, but let me just answer that comment. And then, and then Chris, Chris's question, I think is really good, Andrew, if, if you're able to, if you're able to share it right after, but um, the, the idea, when you look at what Paul says, specifically in first Corinthians 14, he says that the one who speaks in tongues edifies himself only which means that the only person that understands back then what they were saying was the person that was speaking about it. In fact, later on in the chapter and in first Corinthians, he argues that the gift of tongues is mainly for unbelievers. That is to spread the message to other people that don't speak your native tongue, but speak other tongues. So when someone says, look, I speak in tongues, I don't understand what I'm saying. I'm just speaking a holy language. Then you're not doing not even what Paul is saying which is edifying yourself. You don't even understand what you're saying. How then are you edifying yourself, right? So the, the modern day speaking in tongues, and that may be a whole different subject, right? Uh, maybe <laughs> another conversation we can have uh, um, known as glossolalia. 
this idea of speaking in an unknown language to humans, that's not what the Bible speaks about when it comes to speaking in tongues. I just want to make sure we mention that. Um, but Chris had a good question. Did you see that question, Andrew? Yeah, um, yeah I see it. I'll read yeah. it. It says, it says, um, something I've always wondered if prophecy is the greatest gift we receive, why is it that we, well, he probably, we speak we so little of it today. Or, or that we have so little of it today. Oh, we have yeah. so little of it today. Yeah. So, okay. I, and I, and I, I think this is also a good thing and, and perhaps even segues us to the next part, right? When uh, we don't want to talk about Ellen White. Um, but let's just say the following. Again, I think our problem is our misunderstanding of what a prophet is. The first instant, actually, it, it may not be the first instant, but it may be the second instant. But for sure, the first instant that I know of in scripture where a prophet is mentioned is when God is speaking to Moses at that burning bush. You guys remember that story, right? Speaking to, to um, Moses on the burning bush. And I'm going to read this text because I, I looked this up. This is Exodus chapter seven. And God says, so the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron, your brother shall be your prophet. Now it's not that Moses became a God. It's just that the roles that they were going to play, right? Yeah. It was as, just like God gives a message to someone. Now Moses is going to give a message to someone, but he says, Aaron is going to be your prophet. So we have the relationship of God and prophet, right? Uh, God is making this parallelism between the role that uh, Moses and Aaron is going to have, uh, just like a God and the prophet is going to have. And he says, and this is very interesting, verse two, you shall speak all that I command you and Aaron, your brother shall tell Pharaoh, to send the children of Israel out of his land. In other words, Moses, the, 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 uh, the, the person who's compared to God in this role, was going to tell something to the prophet, and then the prophet, Aaron, was going to tell Pharaoh. What does that tell me? That tells me that it's not just about simply giving a message of the future. Prophecy is about giving a divine message. It is about being a it is being revealed a specific message from God, and this is something you are uh, commanded to. You are entrusted to give to others. So when when uh, when the question is why do we see so little bit of it today? Now I don't know if that's true necessarily. I think that if God is speaking to us through Scripture, and in this case through the writings of Ellen White, as we're going to see in a second, right? But if God is speaking to us and giving us divine messages, that is in and of itself prophecy. That is the gift of prophecy in, in, in actually coming alive at our times. Does that make sense? Like, it's not just about speaking about the future. It's literally about giving divine messages. It, it is about conveying the message of God. Yeah. And I, that, and I, and I believe that that's why we have the word revelation. Mm. When we use that in church. La revelación. Me, you know, God revealed this to me. And, and you know, we got to be careful with those. But re the revelation that we study in the Bible is God giving you a message that no one knows that no one knew and it doesn't like you said it doesn't have to do with the future it could be a revelation of that time and place for that specific church like you talk about paul corinthians and in all these church that he was he had a revelation for them it wasn't about the future per se it was at your time this is what god is telling me it's a revelation he was a prophet to them yes and so we do have this misconception where we all want to, uh, you know, basically we want to think about, you know, we get so caught up in the future, but it is, it's a, the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of God to men and men reveal it to them at the time he wants to, when he wants to, why, and, 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 
And that is, you know, basically what you're saying. It's we have to understand what the role of profit is. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, just, yeah. I just think that you you made the perfect example of of, of Moses and Aaron, right? Exactly going with what we're, what we're saying, right? That um, we have this uh, this idea of what a prophet looks like, and yet we see Moses and Aaron kind of make up that prophetic uh, 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 sphere, right? Where there's not just one or the other, but there there is a, a, a two in one, if you would say, right? That it's not always how we think it how, how we think it works, right? When it comes to profits, yeah, for sure, and and I think I think again, this is a, a good segue to talk about Ellen White. Now, before we do though, uh, just really quickly, uh, the spirit of prophecy is really not that complicated, right? The idea is the spirit that spoke through the prophets. It is the spirit that reveals messages, the revelation, as as Dan, as you were saying. Now, uh, one of the things that Adventism believe is that the gift of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy, is alive and well today, um, and and in 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 or sorry one of those instances one of those um examples in which god manifests the spirit of prophecy among us was ellen white now uh you know what's interesting is that we actually haven't uh just for everybody that's watching us we have not sat down and uh, the three of us here and said hey let's agree on our view of ellen white we have not done that okay um, because again, as you guys know, what we really want to do is just come from different angles, from different perspectives and talk about this. We may or may not agree on, on, on Ellen White, but what we cannot disagree upon, I would assume is that Ellen White has an important role in the Adventist church, right? A huge, huge role, whether historically present day, however you want to see it, but she's been important for the church. Um, and, uh, and, and very quickly, Ellen White is first of all, one of the first uh, one of the uh, main founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Generally speaking, we talk about four individuals, right? Joseph Bates, Jane Andrews, James White, and, and, and his wife, Ellen White. Um, so we know her as being a founder of, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but her role, prophetically speaking, is the one that gets very interesting. And so I, I want to hear from you guys. What do you guys feel is, is was the role of Ellen White in Adventism, and I know that's a loaded question. It's a loaded but, question. Yeah, but let's let's see how we can you know condense our ideas and see what what you know wh where you guys are coming from in regards to what her role is in Adventism. Yeah, I think uh, when we think about uh, White's role, we have to first uh, think about what she thought about herself more than anything, right? If we are going to define that, and when we look at uh, who she was, um, she I don't even think she refers to herself as a prophet. Most of the time, she refers to herself as a messenger. Right. Someone who is giving a message. It goes back to what we're talking about, you know, uh, someone that is relaying a message uh, for our time. And some of the biggest things that we touched on were were last week were uh, the fact that, that she was one of the pioneer. Well, one of the ones that led into well, as far as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, uh, the, the progressive understanding and the present truth. Right. And she and the, and the anti-credo. Right. She was one of those. Uh, and when we think about Ellen White. You know, the first thing that we think about is her visions and, and, and the, the different, uh, how would you say, the, the sanctuary, the health message and all these things. Uh, we say, oh, that's where we get our, our biblical, you know, authority from Ellen, through the lens of Ellen White, as opposed to saying we see Ellen White's writings through the lens of the Bible. Right. We, we believe that Ellen White has obviously um, other instruction. Right. Like we, like like the title says, the lesser light. Right. To the greater light that points us 
uh, uh, to the Bible. I believe that uh, in her times, she had many um, uh, progressive truths and and, and uh, um, present truths. She had many deeper truths, right? When we look at, at health. Uh, uh, and uh, one of the things that I wanted to uh, convey is the fact that her writings were never used as, uh, how, how would you say it, to... Her, her writings were always used as confirmation, not uh, what do you call it? Eh, to uh, let, let me let me let me help you with this because I, I um, yeah yeah somebody actually wrote it in a in a very good way uh, where they said that um, her writings were more formative than normative, right? And the idea here is that uh, they were more related to the formation of doctrine as opposed to actually doctrine. Right. So she wasn't what she wrote wasn't simply about this is doctrine. This is what you must believe. Instead, she contributed to the formation of beliefs. I, 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 there's really no one perfect way of saying that, Andrew, but, I, but I'm following exactly what you're saying. Yeah, she, her, her, her writings were never used to to start a doctrine. Her 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 uh, her visions were never a source of, OK, this is the direction right where we start, as opposed to. Uh, like we said, the Millerite movement and many of the pioneers were always uh, uh, in that restorationist mentality back to the Bible. And she was one of the biggest proponents to let's get back to Bible study. And as a matter of fact, she was a, she uh, there was a time in her writings. I, I don't have I think I have to look through it here where it says that when they were coming up with the pillars of the doctrine, she was actually having trouble having visions for 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 a while until the doctrines were established that. That she was able to get her visions back, and 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 it was, and I, and from what we see, I think that goes to show that God, in some way, was, uh, how would you say, disabling her in a way to have those visions in a time where people could use that as an avenue to say, oh, look, see, yeah. the Seven Day Adventists are just using her right through her visions. Right. But she herself right. states in her own books that she was having trouble to, in her visions when they were forming the, the, the main pillars of the doctrine. I think that's crucial. Absolutely. Dan, what do you think? What, what, what do you, how do you see uh, Ellen White's role in Adventism? Actually, my personal opinion, when I thought about this, how I would phrase this, you know, when, when we were talking about growing up being SDA, I saw it be, even in the Hispanic church, a half and half, mm. half were, yes, you know, she, she's very important. Her writings are very important. And the other half were, uh, we don't we don't want to talk a lot about her and her writings and what role. And so it was like the identity as SDA, but then it was Ellen G. White. Is she identity or not identity? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're coming up. I came up with a conflicting. I, I would hear her books, hear her writing, but there were conflicting you know, opinions about her. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, as a teenager, I didn't know where to, you know, where, where, where to start. But sure. when I started studying. Uh, Ellen G. White, what she contributed, what, you know, she does to the SDA. I believe that when I started studying, you know, the books and reading the books, it was as when we look at the Bible at a Daniel, at a Ezekiel, uh, you know, Jeremiah, we, in or John the, ba the, John the Baptist or John who, who got the, the vision in Patmos and the eyes of Patmos, they're revered about what the Holy Spirit said to them. We, we, we read their Bible. We say, oh, the Holy Spirit revealed this to them. And this is true for now, you know, the truth, you know, for, uh, for, for the last people, for the remnant. And we take that serious. Wow, these prophets, and we put them in high esteem. 
But when I read Ellen G. White, it's like she took those puzzle pieces and she clarified it. She wrote it in a way where she um, she she continued the, the 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 works that the Holy Spirit had done with these men, and she clarified it to me in a role where we, as the last people, as a as a remnant, could understand what they were writing a long mm. time ago, mm. and now we have someone who puts it a clear perspective who put used all those pieces and God revealed it so we may understand what took place over there and what's going to take place in you know in our lives and in the future so she is a she took the pieces and she wrote and she made it clear to understand and I believe that is you know one of the things that she contributed as you know in the SDA church I wanted to add, if I could, uh, just to what I'll, <laughs> I lost the word, right? Her visions were a confirmation, not an initiation, right? What was happening. But I wanted to add to this, right? Because James White, uh, look at what James White, her husband writes about her. It says, true visions are given to lead us to God and his, writ and his written word. But those that are given for a new rule of faith and practice separate from the, separate from the Bible cannot be from God and should be rejected. This is her own husband that believes this, right? Uh, it says, Ellen White, uh, this is a, another statement from the book of A Search for Identity. It says, Ellen White remembers that for a, this is the, the statement I was talking about. Ellen White remembers that for a few years, she could not understand the reasoning of the brethren and the meaning of the scriptures they were studying. I was, she says, I was in this condition of mind, she writes, until all the principal points of our faith were made clear to our minds in harmony with the word of God. So we see that God had her in this state where she didn't really, she couldn't really understand what was going on for the purpose of the seven day Adventist church to build their pillars and not be, uh, 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 I get it, guess, exalt Ellen White to a place uh, 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 of God in, in some sense. Right. And uh, some of the, the pillar doctrines that we have, just to give you guys a, 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 an example, right? The seven day Sabbath, it was not something that she instituted. That was something that came to us from the seventh day Baptist conditional immortality that came through George, uh, George stores, which was part of the Millerite movement, the sanctuary and the pre advent judgment. Those came from Crozier and Joseph Bates. So we see uh, uh, something that uh, uh, here that yes, Ellen White confirmed all these things and she writes extensively about all these things, but she was not the main proponent of the originating pillars, right? Uh, even uh, Uriah Smith writes, Uriah Smith vigorously responded to the accusation that hundreds of articles he stated have been written upon the subject of the sanctuary. But in, he says, but in no one of these are the visions once referred as to an authority on this subject or the source from whence any view we hold has been derived, nor does any preacher ever refer to them on this question. The appeal is invariably to the Bible where there is an abundance of evidence for the views we hold on this subject. This is Uriah Smith writing about uh, what they were saying about Ellen White. So we clearly see that the pioneers, right, didn't reject her, her writings. They accepted them, but they were not the pillars uh, of what we believe. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, for the record, I think that we need to add just a little bit of historical context to what you're saying right now, Andrew. Um, and I think you guys are coming from two different perspectives. This is the beauty of not talking about this before, right? Because, <laughs> because, um, Dan, when, when, when I ask what is the role of Ellen White in Adventism, you're thinking today, right? What is her role? Uh, and Andrew, you were thinking back then, uh, but, but let's, let's, let's be honest with the history of Ellen White and her visions and her role as a prophet. First and foremost, at the beginning, 
not every Adventist believed that she was a prophet from God. And so you guys know, um, uh, although there were, they, were, they were considered Adventists, nobody was kicked out of churches for saying, I don't know if I really believe her. Okay. Yeah. Because the rule of faith was scripture. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there was a lot of criticism from others who did not believe in this message saying Ellen White is the source of your doctrines. It is not the Bible. It is visions. And this is where the quotes from that Andrew just wrote, uh, just, just read, uh, where James White and Uriah Smith talk about this. In fact, one of the main founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Joseph Bates, what initially refused to believe that right. Ellen White was truly a prophet from God. And even herself personally, she didn't even want to give this message initially. She was like, ah, oh, I don't know about this, right? And that's because during that time, curiously enough, during that time, and I know this is going to open up another door here, Andrew, you're, you're probably going to jump on this, but during that time, especially in the New England area, right, up in the, in the northeast corner of our country, um, there were a number of prophets that were, that were coming up or people who claimed to be prophets. And then on top of that, during that time, Joseph Smith is killed. I think he's literally killed in 1845 or something like that, right around the Millerite movement. And Joseph Smith, for those of you who don't know, is uh, the main prophet uh, and uh, one of the greatest sources of authority, even above scripture in the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church, right? And so there's this movement of like spiritual gifts and visions and prophecies all over the place. And here comes this, this young girl that doesn't even have any formal education. God gives her a message, a message of encouragement. And so people are just leery about it, right? They're just like, I don't know if we should believe it. And initially a lot of people didn't, but what, what eventually came to happen, and I'll let you say, uh, just give me one, <laughs> uh, 10 seconds here. But what eventually came to happen is that, the Seventh-day Adventist movement and the Seventh-day Adventist church recognized that she had been given a gift, not to form doctrine, but to lead the church in many different areas. So uh, go, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no man. I, we, when we get in these talks, we just start getting uh, passionate. We start, you start bringing oh, up thoughts, but, but absolutely what you were saying is right on the money. You know, there was many prophets that were appearing at that time. Just like, uh, just like you said, and, and Ellen White actually writes about that in her books, that there was many prophets at that time that actually, to some extent, could predict things that were going to happen in that same in that same time. Right. And we can see that's how powerful saying was working at that time. And if we go back even just a little bit further, uh, further back. Right. Uh, the kind of what, what I was saying with uh, the church. Right. The whole 1844 movement and what sprung out of that. Right. There was those who believed nothing happened. And then there was two camps. There was us, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, who believed the cleansing of the sanctuary had started. And then the other movement, which was the spiritualist movement that I said I was talking about, where it led to fanaticism and many spiritualizers. And that's where you start to get all these prophets that start to come out, right? The saint claiming they're prophets because they say, oh, Jesus came, but spiritually, not physically, right? So at that time, you could understand why people were so skeptical about taking someone as prophet, especially with what you said, Mitch about uh, uh, Joseph Smith, right? And all these different people claiming to be prophets. But look at this, uh, this letter that's uh, a Christian man, uh, Christ a Christian at that time writes to James White, right? Look at what it says. It says, I cannot endorse Sister Ellen's visions as being of divine inspiration as you and she think them to be. 
Yet I do not suspect the least shade of dishonesty in either of you in this matter. I think that what she and you regard as visions from the Lord are only religious reveries in which her imagination runs without control upon themes in which she is most deeply interested. I do not by any means think her visions are like some from the devil. So we see that this Christian man is struggling to believe, is Ellen White really a prophet? Because there's all these other prophets that are on uh, are rising at this time, and he's comparing the two. He's saying, well, I don't believe in Ellen White having visions, but at the same time, he's conflicted because he's like, well, at the same time that I don't believe that uh, she's having visions, I don't completely take her out of the picture, right? Because to some extent, he kind of believed what she was what she was saying. Because when truth is truth, that that hits you right here, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing that you can deny about that. So I think it's powerful that this Christian is recognizing that she was unlike other prophets, right? In in, in that sense. Yeah, I but I, and I think that that leads to the point that Dan was trying to make in uh, the role of Ellen White today, because we're not living back then where we're questioning whether or not you know she had <laughs> visions from the Lord. In fact, um, just a, just what I you know, and, and this is something totally personal, right? But I feel uh, uh, proud of this uh, that in a world where oftentimes we talk about uh, equal rights for women, for example, right? Sometimes I mean, his church has as one of her main, one of uh, one of the church's main founders, a woman, right? And and by the way, Adventist education, she was involved heavily, heavily in that, okay, in Adventist education, Adventist mission. She was huge on Adventist mission because of the messages that God gave her. And I I find fascinating that back then, even though you know some would argue that there was more of a patriarchal society back then men were more in charge and it is true there were only men pastors back then etc we're not going to go into the female pastors question <laughs> but i do want to recognize the fact that here are these men who could have easily dismissed a woman and did not do so because they found something important now um uh, take everything that she's done and this is where i'm going to go back to dan's question take everything that she's done here, I got to Can I interject thing. a little bit just real quick? Oh, well, I guess just quickly. So, yeah. yeah, I'm going to so. yeah, yeah, interject just real quick because yeah. it's, it's going to your point uh, that, that you were saying about the, the whole uh, you're proud that Ellen White, you know, she, she, she's a, a strong me- a female uh, uh, proponent for the Seventh day Adventist Church. And I think that's powerful because actually the message that she was supposed to div- deliver came to a man named Hazen Foss. And he mm-hmm. actually rejected that calling, right? Because, mm-hmm. and that speaks to, I don't know if that would speak to to the weakness of man, but that speaks a lot about Ellen White. Continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, and I, and I, and that's always an interesting conversation as to why God went to a man first and not a woman, which is a whole different conversation, right? But I, I do see Ellen White as someone humble enough to say, "Look, Lord, you've called me. I'm gonna do this, even though I'm a little reluctant to do so." I'll just throw the uh, the man rejected it. She didn't. I'll just throw that's that. That's correct. That's correct. I, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Um, and, and again, that that. Oh, bro. Look, I don't, you know what? I don't even want to go. You know what? Look, I'm no, gonna say it anyways. no, I'm going to say it anyways, because here, here comes the issue. And I'm going to argue this a million times over. I rather see a woman speaking the truth than a man for being a man up there and speaking nonsense. I'm going to tell you up front. Okay. Up front. I, and, and I know this is going to rub people the wrong way. Oh, women's ordination, etc. Put the women's ordination aside for a second. What we want to hear is truth. What we want to hear is divine revelation from God. And if a man rejects it and a woman accepts it, 
Glory be to God for that. Amen. If God chooses a woman to convey his message, then so be it. There. I, I've said my piece on this. All right. Mic drop. <laughs> yes. Now, now, now. She accepts this call. And check this out. Ellen White's literary output, approximately 25 million words during a writing career that spanned almost 70 years. About 90 plus books, including compilations, written by her, okay? Translated into as many as 100 languages. Possibly the most translated author in the history of the world outside of probably the Bible, okay? Now, I think there's a claim out there. I got to go look it up and see if that's true, all right? Yeah, you better get your statistics right, man. This, yeah, yeah, this current day generation is all about I, stats, so you don't I, want to- I hear you. I, I hear you. Ooh. Now, what I will tell you is this. Here's the million-dollar question. Was she or was she not a prophet from God, right? And this is, this is where Adventism, historically, there was one text in the Bible that stood out for Seventh-day Adventists. You guys know which text I'm going to talk about. If you don't remember it right now, you're going to remember it in a second. This is Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And this is really important, okay? Because I, I, I want to make sure uh, that, that we read it. Joel 2, 28 and 29. Because when Adventists were trying to figure out what her role would be, okay? This is what they heard from Scripture. And it shall come to pass afterward. And this is talking about the latter days. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, wait for it, wait for it. Your sons... And your daughters shall prophesy. Your hmm. old men shall see dreams and young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and wait for it, wait for it. My maid servants, I will pour out my spirits in those days. Okay. Um, by, by the way, anybody that goes in and again, this is another kind of worm here, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> anybody, anybody that goes in and says in the Adventist church, and says women shouldn't preach. Then what are you going to do about Ellen White? What, what, what are you going to do about Ellen White in this case? Okay, well, I'll tell you where I get my biblical support from Ellen White from the fact that the Bible says that God was going to pour his spirit on both men and women, and they would prophesy. And by the way, this verse was extremely important for early day Adventists. And now this is where I'm going back to Dan. Dan, here's the problem, right? If this is true, if God used her, then what's up with us right now that we, that we argue sometimes against uh against uh, uh using her writings against speaking on her writings like what is happening with us that today the role of ellen white perhaps has changed to the way it was historically and, and i'm not i'm asking you dan necessarily uh, andrew as well but i'm just saying right because you're right we have two groups that one says don't talk about her don't read about her and another group that says no but she's an inspired prophet why not and i, I believe that it's what you're reading about her that makes the two the, mm. the two camps go around. Mm. Like if you're reading Desire of Ages, how do you go wrong with Desire of Ages? It's mm. the most beautiful book about Jesus Christ. Like you read that, everyone has like, wow, that's amazing. But then when you read about health message, about, you know, character and about, you know, <laughs> the food, and then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now I don't believe that so much. Right. And so now you're taking, you are now going to question her character by things that you don't like to hear. Mm. but i would say that just like the prophets of old age not all the prophets were like either so she's just she's normal it's not all the prophets were liked i remember there was a story of of, of a king who they said uh, jehoshaphat asked a king a king hey do you have a prophet of the lord that could tell us something he goes yeah 
and he brings some guy and he said, tell me the truth. And he tells him exactly what he wants to hear. And then he gets mad at him. He goes, I tell you, tell me the truth. Yeah. He tells oh, him the hold, truth and then he hold gets on. mad. Hold on, hold on. But for the record, the one that said that was King Ahab. Yeah. And, and yeah, King Ahab is with the King Jehoshaphat at that moment. Yeah. And King Ahab is literally like literally that guy again. All he ever does is say bad things about me, right? Right. And he didn't he didn't want him there, but he knew he was speaking truth though. Right. And so it's it's one of those, it's our it's almost like the spiritual discernment. Mm-hmm. We're not being led by spiritual discernment as she promotes as the as our founder uh, the founding fathers promoted a spiritual discernment where you look at scripture and say, God, you show me if this is true or not. Mm. Now we have people who are not being led spiritual discernment and saying, I think she's wrong. How do you come up with that conclusion? If the spirit leads you, the spirit leads you to all truth, says the Bible. Mm. It is written. Mm. The mm. spirit leads you to all truth. You shouldn't have a problem. Although I will accept that if you don't believe her, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with you being SDA and not believing that. But when you, when we're, we're saying that she's not a prophet, we don't like what she's saying. It's because wait, you're not, I believe you're not using spiritual discernment to come with that, with the spiritual mind frame. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Two yeah. things though. Two things. I, I got to follow up on this. I got to follow up on this. <laughs> if, if someone says, I don't believe Ellen White is a prophet, can they, or can they not be Adventists? Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a powerful question. I'm curious what you guys think about that. I, I wasn't, when I wanted to study theology, that was a question that the first year students asked a pastor. Mm can someone be baptized and not believe or reject LNG White? And he said, yes. And I was like, you know, baffled. I'm like, really? Um, and, you know, I've, I've struggled with that. I'm like, okay. Uh, only, only to the fact that I believe that to a point, only to the fact that your, your basis of God is going to be scripture only. Mm. But when she and her books offer like the the title is a lighter you know a lighter light a lesser light smaller light yeah yeah she has a lot to but if you're gonna do it i mean you can do scripture only and get to that conclusion but that's a tough one man i I would leave that to more professional (laughs) people (laughs) like pastors what what, (laughs) hey who are you looking at bro don't look at me no, I, I think it's a good question, Andrew. I, you got, I know you wanted to say something. You probably want to say something different. Uh, I, just, I just thought it was an interesting question. I'm, I'm, those are all great questions. And now, like, my mind is like, it's like a uh, shut down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to answer right now. That's, well, that's well, well, look, look, let me, let me, let me give you just a, another follow up here, though. And, and it's for you, Andrew, here. Okay, fine. Uh, by I'm the way, I'll touch my phone real quick. I'm just going to. No, no, no worries. No worries. Yeah, yeah, we got you. By, by the way, um, I'll, I'll tell you my opinion. I, I find it very hard for you to be part of a church. That, that historically has believed that Ellen White is a prophet. And then you'll go in and say, I don't believe that she's a prophet, right? Uh, but I do think that doctrinally speaking, uh, the point of Ellen White wasn't even for you to accept her as a, as a prophet. Her point was to point you to scripture. And that's where I want to get to. Fine. I believe that Ellen White is inspired. But Andrew, can I go in and put her equally at the level uh, of scripture? You, you, you were exactly going exactly to where I wanted to go. That, that's that's so, what I want to know. Yeah. All right. So... You know, I, I think those are really good questions. Can you be a, first of all, can you be a Seventh-day Adventist and not believe in Ellen White? I think, you know, for a while, I was a Seventh-day Adventist and didn't believe in Ellen White. You know that, you know this, Mitch. Hmm. I, for a long time, was very skeptical of her writings. Not that, not like uh, from the sense of, oh, well, I don't agree with that. But in my early Christian walk, I wanted... That, that is probably why you called me an Anabaptist. I wanted to know what the Bible said in the Bible. 
<laughs> was my rule of faith. That's that's and, not why I called you an Anabaptist. No, 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 no. Record, but that's a whole different story. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I gave myself more credit than you did. <laughs> no, but I think that it's important. I think it's not. How would I word this? Now that I have been in my faith, right, and have I am glad that I went to Scripture first before Ellen White because when we go to Ellen White before Scripture, we tend to do the opposite. We see the Bible through the lens of Ellen White as opposed to seeing the uh, uh, Ellen White through the lens of the Bible. And I think that's a huge mistake, right? I think her insight is extensive and I think absolutely she is authoritative, right? When, uh, now, the question you said is, uh, do we put her to the same standard as the Bible, right? And I think this yeah. is the second uh, co uh, component to what Dan was saying, right? The first component why we won't accept Ellen White is because, oh, some things conflict with what we, what we believe, right? We'll accept her on certain messages, but on other things, we're like, whoa, she says, what about swimming? I can't swim with, uh, uh, you know, the other sex. I can't play chess. Uh, I can't do, uh, you know, like a sports. What do you mean? Like, and, and we have that, that, that struggle with, uh, with some of her writings. But I think if we, like we talked about a, a while ago, if we understand uh, um, the, the spirit behind what she was trying to say and apply it today to today, we will, we, there's no way that we can come out uh, 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 rejecting her writings. But the second part, I think why we uh, sometimes reject uh, her writings is because they, we fall into to, uh, several different, different camps, right? Is she infallible when we compare her to the scripture? Well, we, we have to also understand what she thought about herself. Like I was saying in the beginning, did she herself think she was infallible, right? And I think if we're going through this direction, then we have to talk about what we believe about the inspiration of the Bible to some degree. And I don't want to open another can of worms, but I think that when we, we first have to understand how we see scripture to really understand how we see her writings, right? Oh, yeah, okay. Right, if we, if, we, if we think about scripture, I would say that we could divide it into three different camps, right? Those who believe that scripture is the completely infallible word of God, that means that every single word in the Bible is infallible, is without error, right? That's the first thought. The second thought is that the very first manuscripts, right? Because all of a sudden, when you say the words that are in the Bible are completely infallible, then what do you say to all the different Greek manuscripts that we have today? The variation in different uh, Greek manuscripts, you start to see that, hey, hold up. Even though 90% of the Bible is, is, uh, comes to a congruent uh, accuracy, 10% of that even though minor, while it be a situation, you know, or, or grammatical errors, you know, if we say that the Bible is completely infallible, every single word, then it, that leads us through another rabbit hole. The second view would then say the original manuscripts, the original Bible that was written is infallible. That is the complete word of God. And then we come to the third view of inspiration, which is what I believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes. And that is that the will of God, the revelation of God through man, right? The, hum, uh, the human and the divine components, that it is the will of God that is infallible, but not the actual scriptures. So when we think about it in that perspective uh, about the Bible, that it is God's will, right? That it is not the perfect, that, the, that, that we can still get across a message, right? To the hearers without every single word have to, having to be, exact and then we start to look at her writings and what she thought about her own 
her own writing, she herself says that she doesn't she doesn't claim infallibility. We know this because in the last study we were talking about progressive understanding, right? She herself uh, understood this. And as a matter of fact, uh, Mitch, you've mentioned this before, uh, in the great controversy, there was a revision a couple years later after uh, her original great controversy, right? Uh, I believe uh, if I can find the statement here, uh, it says right here, it says on another occasion in the early 1890s, she, she remarked to certain backward looking events that God and, in, and heaven are alone. God and heaven alone are infallible. Those who think that they will never have to give up a cherished view, never have occasion to change opinion will be disappointed. That's not the one I wanted to read, but right here we see that herself is claiming that God alone, God and heaven alone are infallible. They're the only ones. And those who think that we won't have to change an opinion will be disappointed because truth is progressive. As God reveals more light to us, we apply that truth to our current times, right? Um, uh, the, the, it's actually right here, the ones that I wanted to read. It says, it says another participant argued against in, inerrancy and verbalism in Ellen White's writings by pointing out that an 1888 edition of The Great Controversy says there were no clouds on the dark day of May 19, 1780, while the 1911 edition claims there were clouds everywhere. Prescott converted from a rigid view on inspiration through his work in revising the great controversy, pointed out that the real point of Ellen White's inspiration had to do with the larger themes rather than the factual details. If we see Ellen White's writing like this, we can also understand how we get the inspiration for the Bible as well. Even though we have grammatical errors and punctuation in the Bible, 90% of the Bible is still accurate. And God can still reveal a message to people, even though the smaller details like punctuation and grammatical errors can be there. So when we understand this quote right here, we see that in Ellen White's writings, if we can get the bigger picture and not uh, be uh, fact checkers about, oh, well, in this great controversy, she put there was clouds and in this one she didn't. We actually start to see the bigger, bigger picture that her overarching message can still be grasped, even though so, uh, the, um, there is no inerrancy. Yeah, I, I think I think you bring up some a uh, lot of heavy points on this for the record. Um, let's kind of worms. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but not you asked me. I, I was like, oh. I, I think, yeah, I think they're important. So the first thing is, what do we mean by infallible? Without error, right? Without error, without, error, without mistake. Do does the Adventist Church, or for that matter, do you guys believe that Ellen White? is without error it, it, that she as a prophet is infallible without error or mistakes no. right uh the seventh adventist church does not uh, ascribe to that belief that ellen white is infallible in fact the only one or the only thing that is infallible is scripture okay so yeah. we be, we believe in the infallibility of scripture what we do not believe re regarding scripture is inerrancy and inerrancy is the idea is that every word right that came out is without error, right? And so um, I, I think it's really important that that these terms kind of make sense within this conversation. I'm now, sorry, I got I got into it and I started throwing terms no, no, out. No, it's fine, bad. it's fine. But, but here's, here's the thing though. I think, let's be clear with her relationship between the, um, uh, the Bible and her writings, okay? And I'm gonna answer this in two ways. 
the first is what she says herself, because I think that's the best way of, uh, of determining which, what her relationship is with the scripture. Number one, great controversy, page 595. God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only mm. as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms, not her writings, the Bible only. That's what she's writing, right? Second, Selected Messages, um, uh, volume one, page 416. She writes, the Bible and the Bible alone is to be our creed, the sole bond of union. Let us lift up the banner on which is inscribed the Bible, our rule of faith and discipline. By the way, you're not going to get that from Joseph Smith. No offense to the Latter-day Saints, right? But you won't. And that's the big difference between other prophets and Ellen White, right? Ellen White is telling you, it's not what I'm writing that's the rule of faith. It's what scripture says. Now, um, I do believe that Ellen White's inspired, but in what sense, right? Compared to what we know in scripture. Well, we can think of the prophets that wrote in scripture off the top of my head, Jeremiah, Isaiah, right? Um, uh, we have, uh, 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 I don't know, any of the Old Testament uh, prophets, you know, like, like uh, uh, Daniel, for example, right? And, and, and Zephaniah and, and, and Micah, etc. Those are prophets that wrote and have become part of scripture. Ellen White is not putting herself on that same level, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is the following. In fact, she's highlighting them. But the second thing is this. There were prophets in the Bible inspired by God that did not write anything down. We still consider them inspired by God, don't we? But they didn't write anything down. There is no such thing as a book of Elijah. There is no such thing as a book of Elisha, okay? And yet we believe they were prophets of God, right? So God can use someone outside of Scripture to still reveal a message to people. But let me add one other detail here because I think it's really important. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible that just kind of, at least in my opinion, just popped open my, my, my view of what uh, prophets and their role is. This is 1 Chronicles 29, 29. I do not expect you guys to know this verse, all right? This is a very obscure verse. Uh, one of those areas where nobody ever really reads. But this is what it says. I thought you were going to say, I you gonna say like uh, Leviticus or Numbers. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is, this is 1 Chronicles 29, all right? 29, 29. And it says, now the acts of King David first and last. Indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer. Okay, well, we know first, second Samuel, right? In the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. Who in the world knows huh? about the book of Nathan and the book of Gad? I don't know those books, but they were prophets. Okay, here we go. They were prophets, and they wrote. And the reason why they are not in the canon of Scripture, what I mean by canon is the 66 books that compose the Old and New Testament, right? The reason they're not in there is because they were messages given to people at a specific time. They were not meant for everyone. They were meant for a specific people at a specific time. Here's a joke for you guys. Uh, someone said we were talking about whether or not Jesus ate fish. Okay? Yeah. And I said, I said, Yes, of course, Jesus ate fish, all right? In fact, so when the Bible doesn't say that, the Bible says that he fed people fish. I'm like, well, what more do you want? Jesus feeding people fish. And I said, Jesus ate fish. And if not, you got to admit, he at least cooked it to the disciples, right? When they were at the Sea of Tiberias. And, and he said, well, you know why he didn't, he, he was eating fish. I'm like, why? Because he didn't have the spirit of prophecy yet, right? Which was, which was Ellen White. I'm thinking, wait a minute. No, no, no. Okay, that's not the Very, point. I thought it, yeah, I thought it was a funny oh, joke. Man. I thought, I, but but here's the point of this. Ellen White writes, she's inspired, 
for this time. For this time, okay? Now, that doesn't mean I'm putting her writings at the level of Scripture. What I am doing, though, is saying that she has a message pertinent to us today, okay? To us today. And her message, for the record, is go back to the Bible. Go back to the Bible. Stop what everyone else has told you about doctrine and belief. Go back to the Bible. And let me show you what the Bible teaches. And she goes on doing that. So I think it's really important. Um, oh, and this is just something that popped into my head right now. By the way, someone will look at the book, The Great Controversy, Dan, the book that you quoted, right? And you said, look, what is the book about? Desire of Ages as well, right? Uh, but The Great Controversy, and they'll go in and say, well, isn't she just telling you the story, history? It's just a history book, right? Uh, of, of the Christian church. Yeah, true. Is it inspired or not is the million dollar question. Well, um, you have to kind of answer what happens in the book of Luke. Because in the book of Luke, right at the beginning, he says, and I'm going to read this. This is Luke chapter one, verse one. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word delivered them to us. He says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. You know what happened here? He wasn't writing based on what God revealed to him in a vision. What he did was he did research. He did research, and he's like, look, I've studied it all. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. Now, is that exactly what happened? I don't know, because it differs from Matthew a little bit, from Mark, <laughs> and from John. But I will tell you this. Do you consider the book of Luke inspired? Do you guys consider the book of Luke inspired? You do. And what was it? It was basically a research document. And we consider that the inspired word of God. With that, I'm not saying that Ellen White is also the inspired word of God. What I am saying, though, is that inspiration can work through research the way she did it, right? Uh, and, and again, I do believe she is inspired for our time. She is not above the Bible, nor I'm going to add her to the Bible because she points me to the Bible. But anything that points me to the Bible, in my opinion, is inspired. You stole, you stole the words out of, out of my mouth. I was going to use that reference, too, in Luke. But I guess that, that would bring us to, to our next point. You know, did Ellen White, and this is a million dollar, this is a million dollar question, right? The, uh, uh, if Jeffron is hearing, right, this is a shout out to Jeffron. He's the one that, that, that posed this question. Did Ellen White plagiarize? Well, this is why we have Dan here. He's going to give us oh. the answer to that. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh no, but Andrew, we actually ran out of time. So we're just going to have to, oh. no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Great question. So one of the accusations she received in the 1970s and eighties. So did no. she? Should I should I should I take it in? Should I take my own question? No, no. Look, I I, I don't know if you guys have an answer, but uh, I'll give you a quick answer. No, she didn't. That's my answer. No, she didn't. I'm gonna push back. Nah. Sure, sure. No, go go ahead. Go ahead. No problem. No, I I, I think it's a great question. Did Ellen White uh, plagiarize? Uh, I want to make several several points when it comes to Ellen White, right? Um, I just gotta let you know that. My my phone charger didn't work. I have like five percent. It might go off. I might not oh, be here no. to the end. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> it, it, well, just in case, Dan, we've we appreciated having you here. Just in case, but just you know. yeah, just in case you you know I'm good to go along. <laughs> <laughs> By the time Andy's done, I will be. So, so I, I want to make several points here, right? Wait, wait, wait. Why don't we let Dan answer then? Just oh, in case you want to hear his answer. Yeah, just in case. 
Come on, Dan. I know that's what you're trying to say. Hey, I want to I want to answer this first. No, 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 no. I'll leave that to Andy. He has, no. he's, he's he's look, look at him. He just wants yeah, to he's go. ready. He's ready. All right, all right, Andrew. Go okay. for it, man. No, yeah. Um when we think about her writings, if they were plagiarized, you know, I was actually looking a lot into this. Right. If we look at the when she was writing, right, at the time that she was writing, you you know that there was a, a um would you say an article called the Review and Herald. In, in her time, right, which was a publishing house, right, uh, that published many of her writings and many other of the pioneers' writings. And it, to those people at that time, if you hold her, her, uh, her letters and her autographs to that standard of plagiarism, they would have said, no, she's not plagiarizing because they, had, they easily had access to her writings and her sightings, which were published through their publishing house, the Review and Herald. So at that time, there wasn't a question of what she was plagiarizing because they could have easily paralleled many of her writings with uh, the, the people she was citing because they were around that time or, or you know, uh, in, uh, in similar, uh, how would you say it, generations, right? Sure. So to them, it wasn't plagiarized, plagiarizing. So now that you start to hold, you, you, you fast forward how many years, right? And all of a sudden, you're holding Ellen White to a standard that wasn't there. Well, at that time, right? Or how would I say it wasn't something that was important to her, right? And I, and I would say it in this aspect, just like as when we have the early scriptures, right? Now we can see that there are many errors that were made grammatically, uh, uh, periods or, uh, you know, uh, things that were made, right? In the same fashion, how our early church fathers weren't worried about, oh, let me make sure I have the comma here. Let me make sure I have this word Right. They were under extreme persecution. Right. They were trying to get the gospel message. They weren't worried about, oh, let me did I dot my eyes and my T's. Right. In the same fashion, Ellen White at that time, printing the printing press was on a surge at that time. If you guys read the uh, uh, through some of her writings, you could see that how they were trying to get the message messages across the seven day Adventist church. They weren't worried about, oh, am I citing this and this person? Am I citing this and this person? Right. They were trying to get the message out. Right. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make that parallel, first of all. So, first of all, people at that time wouldn't have recognized it as plagiarism because they recognized the, the sightings. And second of all, they weren't worried at that time about those corrections because they were trying to get the gospel message out. Right. So in 18 in 1982, we get this guy named Walter Rea. I think I'm saying it's night uh, who produced a book called The White Lie. And this is where um, Jeffron states his question, right, where he writes mm -hmm. his whole book where Ellen White, uh, uh, is, they're claiming that Ellen White plagiarized uh, many writings. Sure. And what happened after this is actually that um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church actually came up with a committee, right, who had to look into this because they did see there was an extent, extensive uh, contribution from other writings in her writings. Sure. So they did a, a committee, right? And, and I have the writings here. It says his name was Veltman, I guess. It says... After the equivalent of five years of full-time study, no, it says five years. So this wasn't some glossing over of her, of her writings. Five years. After the equivalent of five years of full-time study, Veltman concluded that Ellen White borrowed extensively, but that it was not blind borrowing. To the contrary, she used the writings of others consciously and intentionally. Such borrowing indicates that she had originality and was not slavishly dependent upon her sources. Ellen White's independence is to be seen in her selectivity. Her sources were her slaves, never her master. 
She crafted her finished product to fit the message she sought to get across to her readers. And I think this is huge because I don't know about you, Mitch, but when you're coming up with a message, I know I myself by that, by the time I've come up with my message, I've listened to uh, various sermons. I've listened, I've gone in and studied different commentaries. I looked through different versions of the Bible, uh, uh, looked up certain Greek words and all kinds of different places, right? And when that finished product is come, it is done and I'm preaching that message, I am not going to be up there and say, oh, well, this writer said this for every single thing that I that I have inspired, right? Because there are certain things that you're trying to uh, push in a certain direction that maybe some of those other inspired texts were just not going in. And that's what I see with Ellen White. She uses some of these sources to make her greater point, right? By taking them from their original source and expanding on them and actually making her point. Uh, and yeah, I think that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's a great answer. Um, I, um, my argument is that no, she did not plagiarize. Um, and this may seem like semantics to some, but uh, it, the idea is, did she borrow? Yes, absolutely she did. Uh, did she plagiarize? In other words, claim that what she borrowed from someone else was her own original intent? No, she never did. And in fact, um, speaking of what the Ellen, uh, what uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church's response was to that time in 1981, uh, a, an outside or independent attorney was asked to look into this yes. claim, okay? And um, this was done by the Office of General Counsel in the uh, General Conference. Um, and uh, the idea was that, well, take a look at it. D did she plagiarize based on what was happening? And so a term came out of that that we are very familiar with today. Uh, maybe not everybody, but at least me, right now that I'm dealing with YouTube content and things like that, I understand it. Um, it the question is, if she was within her legal boundaries of fair use. Mm. What do we mean by fair use? Well, okay. Oh, YouTube has a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of it. Okay, well, but what do we mean by that, right? I, people wonder, I, I think, uh, especially some people that are watching us and have done YouTube videos or have tried doing these things, the question of fair use comes in. What does that mean? Is can you use someone else's material? Not that you're claiming it that it's your own, but use someone else's material to talk about something, right? Um, and, and where do you pass that legal boundary where now you are infringing upon their original thoughts and ideas? And, uh, uh, the, you know, the attorney, uh, last name was Ramik. Uh, he ended up, at, you know, there's like a 27 page report on this. You could find, I, I believe, online. I believe what he was atheist before that. No, and he turned, uh, no, 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 like he actually, or no, no or he was he... actually Roman Catholic is what oh, Roman was. Catholic, something yeah, like that. And, and he actually ended up, uh, reading the great controversy, which a lot of Roman Catholics consider offensive, right? Because it speaks of the stuff that. The Catholic yeah, Church did, which made it powerful. I forgot what it what he was, but that made it even yeah. more. He was he was he actually admits that when he started doing all his research and he did over three hundred hours of research on that topic because he was hired for that specific reason, um, his conclusion was no, she did not uh, uh, participate in piracy, right? In this, you, you we all know what piracy is, right? Uh, I don't know, Andrew, if you ever participated in ripping videos and selling them. Hopefully not. <laughs> hey, okay. That's a part of my life that I wish to not not to disclose. Okay. All right. No problem. We won't mention that. Right. But there, there was the idea of piracy uh, or copyright infringement. And first of all, as you said, based on the laws back then, that was not an issue. Second, though, most importantly, is what he is what he says. And it's a very interesting point, which is, look. At the end, you're not going to reinvent some things. If someone repeated and said history back in the day and said it well enough, why would you go in and try to rephrase all of that? Now, we live today in a time 
where you must rephrase all of it mm -hmm. because now word for word becomes a problem, right? That wasn't the issue back then. And for the record, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Seventh-day Adventist church has never had an issue with going in and saying, let's go and correct those, those uh, 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 quotes and where these sources are from. That's never been a problem. And because we don't believe that she is infallible, and, and inerrant, right. I mean. But, 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 but neither did she. she would exactly. In fact, historically, there were many in the church that pushed back on her uh, um, uh, corrections on what we know as the testimonies, right? Which is testimonies to the church, volume one, volume two, volume three. She wanted to go in and correct dates and correct uh, information that was in there. Not that the message was wrong, but that the details could be more accurate. And some people were like, no, that's going to affect them white. She was never against that. Mm -hmm. And if, I, I believe that if she would have lived today, she would have quoted and cited all her sources with APA or MLA format, or maybe even Turabian format for all <laughs> those writers out there, whatever it is, man. But you, the, the point wasn't that. And anyways, as you said, the point was the message. And, and, and I encourage anybody that has this question, right? Uh, oh, um, Dan said something though, that I, I just want to make sure that uh, we make emphasis on, which is, have you noticed when you don't like the message, you become critical about the, the messengers, mm. right? This is what we do with scripture. People who don't like what scripture teaches about God, about the Sabbath are critical of the Bible. This is the same thing that we do with Ellen White. Yeah. And then I, I just wanted to add to, uh, to, to this point that we were making about Ellen White, right? Look at this statement that she herself writes. It says, in order to make full proof of their ministry, those who open the word of God to others should search the scriptures diligently. They should not, they should not be content no, sorry. They should not be content to use other men's thoughts, but should dig for truth as for hid treasures. While it is perfectly right to gather ideas from other minds, they should not be satisfied to take those ideas and repeat them in a poll parrot manner. Make these ideas your own, brethren. Frame the arguments yourselves from your own study and research. Do not borrow the productions of other men's brains and pens and recite them as a lesson but make the most of the talents, the brain power that God has given you. Review and Herald. That I, says everything yeah, yeah, right it says, there. It says everything. Absolutely. And, and look, honestly, we have ran out of time today. Uh, but I think that's a that's a perfect way to conclude this. Oh, I wanted uh, to say <laughs> No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. If you want to say that, it, last yeah. part, uh, uh, what you uh, what you meant, uh, what I want to mention was uh, that I mentioned last time to Jeffron with uh, even Paul. Right. The earliest writings that we have from Paul. Right, which is found in First Corinthians 15, the earliest Christian to, to this date, Paul is quoting quoting from an early Christian creed. You never see Paul in there saying, you know, uh, uh, saying uh, the words, and then all of a sudden at the bottom saying, uh, we'll, we'll use for example, uh, uh, Gandhi or or whatever or whatever mm -hmm. person you want to put right. And this is something that made it into the canon of Scripture, and Paul through inspiration, uses this, it ends up in scripture, and he never cites his sources. Right, right. But that's, but, but I don't want to use that as an excuse to say, oh, well, Ellen White, you know, therefore you could do whatever and, you and, want. And that's, or, and that's what, or, it's or not for that matter, Right. But no, no. Oh, for that matter, though, for me to come in and write a book today and then say, well, Paul did it, therefore I'm going to do that. Absolutely. Uh, no, we just put everything in its context, right? Exactly. Is, is, is the idea. And uh, by the time, you know, and there's also an argument of who she writes and who she borrows from, who did they borrow from? Who did they write from? 
right? Because this is a trajectory of writings that has existed since the first century uh, uh, of, of uh, uh, it's the first century AD. So I think it's interesting, but I just wanted to end with this idea, Andrew. I know there's a lot more to talk about this, um, but it, it's, this, uh, it's this concept that um, Ellen White encourages us to be intellectual about things, to, to be critical about things, right? To, to make ideas our own, to be original in the way that we express uh, um, the, the, the messages of scripture. Um, you know, she is very pro-education. Uh, mm. The only thing is that she tells you to put God first in your education, right? Always. That is the greatest bit of education that you can receive. And I think that goes a very long way, right? I mean, a long, long way uh, to understand how important Ellen White is. But brother, I'm gonna tell you, it's 547, man. We do yeah, have to that's end it. This. And we lost Dan in the process. Like we spoke for so long that his battery died. Okay? <laughs> his battery died. I, hey, I, I, hey the, the spirit testifies with my spirit that we should end. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Now, uh, again, everybody that's still, I know it was 4th of July weekend. I know we're missing some people as well. I just want to say uh, we're thankful for everybody that's joined us. Uh, keep an eye out on our Instagram because we're going to have some more information, especially about the shirt. Can, can, can we just see that logo one more time, Andrew? Oh. Uh, right, right there. It's right. Keep calm and advent on. There it is. Uh, Jason was not able to join us today. Uh, Jason, wherever you're at, man, actually, I don't even think I don't even think he can like even see a YouTube video. So for the record, Jason, we miss you, brother. I know you're not listening to this right now because you got no signal. But uh, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll be having them soon enough. And uh, everybody else, uh, you know, we hope that it was a blessing. And, uh, and, and you learned a little bit about Ellen White. Now, we're not done with the Adventist identity conversation. So this will continue for one more week. We hope that you can join us, though. Uh, and Dan, wherever you're at, my brother. Uh, in washing Arizona, those hands. Yes, wa wa please wash those hands. Wear that mask. Definitely stay safe. But we appreciated Dan joining us in the conversation today. Uh, Andrew, we got to end, man. We really do. Uh, so you want to lead us in a, in a final word of prayer? Yeah, let's, uh, let's bar heads. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, just come to you once again, Lord, asking that uh, you would uh, fill your Holy Spirit in all our hearers, Lord, uh, not only those that are here on this live stream, Lord, but maybe in the future. We, we put so much on prophecy and knowing the future and your coming. But maybe someone will hear this in the future, Lord, and maybe uh, they will be uh, touched by what we're speaking of, Lord. And we just ask that you would continue to use this ministry, Lord, to, to, to hide us, Lord, completely, but uh, just put you at the forefront and, and what we believe as a Seventh-day Adventist. Lord, we ask that you continue to be with us in this series that we have, Lord, that, that we may continue to do it justice in the best way we know how, Lord. We just ask that um, you would be with everyone as we close. And we ask this in your name and prayer. Amen. Andrew, Andrew, one last question before we go. Here you go, okay? This is just a final way to end. We got people watching us. They say recommend one book from Ellen White. If that would be the only Ooh. book you could read from Ellen White, quickly, which one would you recommend? Oh my gosh, you have to tell me one, dude. One book, one book. Okay, only one book. Okay. Which one would you recommend? I, I, I would, I would say Great Controversy, but everybody read Great Controversy. No, so no, no. recommend one book. Recommend one. Which one, oh, dude? You got to read the Great Controversy, dude. Okay. There's no way that that was literally the foundation of my turnaround from Anabaptist to. Uh... <laughs> uh, you're funny, bro. You're funny. All right, one book. My side steps to Christ. It's small, but it is powerful, powerful. All right. But anyways, I think you can be Dude, blessed. Adventist home is another one. That's so good. See, I'm now I'm going to talk about faith and works, man. I'm going to talk about, are we going to go back and forth on this? I don't know, man. Okay. Just, okay. Just... Okay. <laughs> 
anyways, we hope that you were blessed. Uh, we hope to see you next Sabbath, God willing. Be safe out there. Uh, remember, as I usually say, keep washing those hands. Keep wearing those masks. Let's just do our part. I understand it's not comfortable, but we got to do it for now. But in the meanwhile, as the world keeps getting crazier and crazier, keep calm and Advent on. We hope to see you next week. God bless. We'll see you soon.